Hi, I'm Justin Rosso, and welcome to this, the 24th episode of Season 4. It's our very last episode. Tonight's our last night, as we've been doing this Facebook Live reading of the book De Delight, Discipleship as the Adventure of Loving and Being Loved. Thanks so much for being on this journey with us. Hey, I've put a link in the description, a way for you to give us some feedback just to say what you liked, what you didn't like, what you maybe would have liked to see more of, any word of advice or uh, encouragement or insight you'd like to share. We'd love to hear from you. The more we can hear from you, the more we can do a better job of helping you delight in taking a next step following Jesus. So please take just a minute to, to give some kind of response to us tonight. Uh, still waiting for some COVID results from uh, different members of our family, but we're doing okay. Living in quarantine, just ordered groceries online. They'll be delivered tomorrow. You know how that goes. You've done this routine before. Uh, but tonight I'm excited to finish up. We're in chapter 12. I'm beginning the, the next section. It starts on page 271, but I'm going to back up to the bottom of 270 to kind of get us going tonight. Hey, thanks for joining me for this last episode of Delight. Uh, your natural tendency is to avoid that uncomfortable feeling in yourself and in others at all costs. Don't do it. A safe life is a numb life. That's too high a price to pay, and it's not the way of the cross and open tomb. Lean into moments of discomfort. Invoke the Spirit. Stay open and curious about what Jesus is up to in your life. Embrace vulnerability as a dangerous and powerful tool for experiencing God's delight. Then buckle up. People who live like that are in for the adventure of their lives. A small step in the right direction. If you grew up in a culture anything like the one I grew up in, then your sense of identity is probably performance-based, whether you like it or not, whether you're aware of it or not. Think back to your formative years, one of the first mirrors that gave you a sense of who you are as an individual in a larger community. Uh, I better start that sentence again. What are the first mirrors that gave you a sense of who you are as an individual in a larger community of individuals was probably some kind of report card. It doesn't matter whether you looked forward to or dreaded seeing your grades. It doesn't matter whether you lived and died on the difference between an A and an A-, minus, or you were just hoping to avoid an F. It doesn't matter whether you ignored your report card entirely or your parents tied financial incentives to your grades, you learned to evaluate your performance and, in a sense, your identity in terms of a GPA. That grade point average mentality, that grade point average mentality becomes a tool you use to evaluate yourself and your life long after your last class. Think about it. You have a sense of of your performance right now in relationship to your performance in the past, as well as in comparison to the current performance of your peer group. You intuitively know what average, below average, and above average looks like for what you're doing right now, and you have a general sense of how well you're doing whatever it is you're doing. 
At work or at play, you could grade yourself. You could be a B worker and a B minus softball player. You could be an A plus accountant with a D average in relationships. You could be acting, you could be acing your weekends and struggling to pass in your career. You could feel like a B student in an A crowd. You could even feel like a C plus Christian. Hmm. I am a C. I am a C plus. I am a C-H-R-S-T. How you think and what you do about feeling like a C-plus Christian is shaped by what you already know about how a GPA works. You have options. You could look around and feel shamed by the real A-plus-plus Christians in your life. Of course, you only have your, your external evaluation to go by. Their internal report card might look very different than you think. Or you can find as many D and D minus Christians as you can. Hanging out with the sort of people, hanging out with short people always makes you feel tall. You might feel real grief if your religion grade came back a C, and you might therefore do everything you can to avoid anything that feels like a way of evaluating your Christian life because you're afraid of that sense of failure. Or maybe you find yourself parsing the difference between an A and A- and stressing over whether you, whether or not you've done enough. And maybe you should do a little more to make the grade, just in case. Can you see how a GPA mentality can work its way into your heart and affect how you experience the people around you, as well as your own sense of value and identity? GPAs are not inherently evil but they're a hell of a way to evaluate your Christian life. That, mounts, that might sound flippant, but I mean it almost literally. Constantly evaluating your performance and the performance of those around you and shaping your sense of personal value based on your performance, that is the definition of living under the burden of the law. Carrying that weight can crush you. Living in constant fear and shame with a constant pull to do more or to just give up, that's an, experience, that's an experience of separation from God's grace. That's an experience of separation from God's grace that belongs to hell. And putting your confidence in the quality of your own performance, or at least banking that the divine examiner is grading on a curve, living consistently like that is the opposite of ongoing dependence on Jesus and will eventually, eventually, eventually lead you down a path that ends with Jesus giving you what you've been demanding all along, in eternity without him. So I mean it when I say the GPA mentality is a hell of a way to evaluate your Christian life. That way of thinking is so ingrained in our experience that it might be impossible to root it out entirely. And you know what? That's okay. How good or bad you are at avoiding a GPA mentality is not what makes you a good or bad Christian. Your performance is avoiding your performance in avoiding a performance mentality is not what you are being graded on. Jesus is not concerned at all that you're still struggling with this. My sense is Jesus would laugh and wipe the grass off of your knee and kiss your boo-boo and tell you to get back in the game and have fun, and for heaven's sake, kick the ball this time. I've discovered something that helps me kick the ball a little more regularly. 
and fall down a little less frequently. I've found it has helped some of my teammates have more fun playing discipleship, too. Remember, following Jesus is difficult, and it's also supposed to be sha'ah, fun. This change of mindset is not a magic trick, and it hasn't made me or any of my friends the lead goal scorer on our team, nor are any of us ready for the World Cup, but it does help relieve the burden of performing well as a Christian and replaces that burden with a kind of delight in being a follower. The important shift is this. Replace your GPA with a GPS. You're on an adventure of discipleship that includes learning but is so much more than a classroom. You do need a way of evaluating, of checking in, of wondering with Jesus about where you've been and where you are headed. But a report card doesn't do much good on a journey. A GPS tells you where you are. A GPS doesn't grade where you are or shame you because of where you are or even evaluate your past performance on how you got there. A GPS just says you are here. And if you experience recalculating as reproach, I'm pretty sure you're projecting your emotions onto your car's persona. You might care that you took a wrong turn again. Your spouse might care that you're you are late and getting later, but your GPS is fine recalculating and recalculating your route as often as you need it. You're an idiot. No problem. I'll just recalculate. Replace your GPA with a GPS and you can stop judging your value based on your performance or on the performance of others around you. Both vulnerability and delight stem from simply accepting this fact. You are here. As you begin to adopt a GPS attitude in your life and in your life of faith, your sense of burden and anxiety will likely begin to shrink. I guess you might still feel some anxiety about where you are as opposed to where you wanted to be or where you think others are, but simply accepting where you are can be freeing. You don't need to be someone else or anywhere else or be any better or different than you are at this present moment. Jesus meets you right where you are. When your burden begins to shrink, room for curiosity begins to grow. If you don't feel as much fear or shame or pride or complacency about where you are, you can begin to wonder where Jesus will lead you next. That focus on Jesus is what prevents your GPS from becoming a GPA in disguise. We're so hardwired for performance, and therefore for the law, that we even judge our accomplishments in terms of how far we've traveled in life, or the distance we've covered as we progress, or how close we are to our life goals. As the master of my fate and the captain of my soul, I set my course and evaluate my self-worth and identity in terms of how well I can steer my life around obstacles to reach the goals or destinations I have set for myself. And even if I rate a C- minus at achieving my goals, as long as I'm in control of my direction, I can look back at the end of my life and at the end of my journey and say, at least, I did it my way. Enter Frank Sinatra, exit the Holy Spirit. 
that's turning your GPS back into a GPA. The grading scale is in distance covered and proximity to goals, but it's still a grading scale. If you measure your value based on the grading scale of the progress you make towards the goals you choose, that evaluation will constantly drive you back to fear, shame, avoidance, complacency, anxiety, and doubt. That's no way to live. I take that back. That's the way most of us live most of the time. But there is a more excellent way. When you replace your GPA with a GPS, the GPS will tell you where you are without judgment. If the map you're holding and the journey you're on is of your own design, knowing where you are will automatically bring with it all kinds of judgment and evaluation. But notice, that judgment comes from the map and the destination, not from the GPS itself. What if, instead of having your own life goals primarily in mind, you focus on Jesus? What if you ask Jesus to choose your next des destination on the journey? What if, instead of having your own ideal for Christian living in mind, you ask the Spirit to shape you in ways that made you more like Jesus? What if you accepted the GPS as a neutral statement of where you are and asked God the Father to show you where Jesus is and where Jesus is heading? A focus on Jesus. Seeing where Jesus is and where Jesus is heading is at the heart of the adventure of discipleship. That's why we call discipleship following Jesus. As long as I set the course and the destinations for my life and for my life of faith, I will have little sense of adventure and all kinds of performance anxiety. As soon as I look for what Jesus is up to in my life and what small next step Jesus is inviting me to take, I'm vulnerable to confusion and doubt and even looking or feeling foolish. But I also become open to adventure and risk and new experiences of delight. You end up with the same command as Abraham, the father of all who believe. Go and I'll tell you when you get there. See Genesis 12. You end up with the same promise as those first followers of Jesus. Go and I will be with you. See Matthew 28. You have to live with the tension of not knowing clearly where you're going next, and you get the comfort of knowing the one who walks with you every step of the way. Every step, every small, seemingly insignificant step, every step you take in confidence, every step you take in doubt, every time you take a small next step following Jesus, you are on the adventure of your life. Not every step will feel like an adventure, of course, but practice engaging God's word and seeking God's delight and will in prayer and walking with a fellow traveler on the road and disgusting what has been happening in your own Kara Thursdays and Karis Fridays and confusing Easter Sundays and you will begin to see little by little over time that this adventure has very little, if anything, to do with how good you are at walking and everything to do with the one who walks with you and opens your mind 
and makes your heart burn so you can't wait to get back to scared friends behind locked doors with a message that has changed your life. And in that moment, while you are still talking, don't be surprised if Jesus shows up and offers you all peace. His peace. The peace of knowing the crucified and risen Savior. You are not in control of your journey of faith. You need to know where you are. Where you are is just fine with Jesus. And then you get to look for one small step you can take today, or this week, or this month, that seems to follow where Jesus leads. Don't let fear of taking a wrong step paralyze you. You might take a wrong step or head in the wrong direction for a while. But then again, maybe a wrong step in the wrong direction is back to GPA thinking. Movement is the key. Take one small step, run one low-risk experiment, practice moving forward in faith, and you'll find steady movement with small next steps allows you to turn or even change direction in a way standing still never can. You're on the adventure of your life. Your job is not to own the path or even the destination. You get to engage fully without the burden of being graded or even the burden of being in control. You can have the time of your life on this journey without fear of failure because the guide who walks with you knows the destination and he himself is the way. What small next step is Jesus inviting you to take? Who are you walking with on your Emmaus road? What adventure do you sense is just around the bend? I bet it's going to be awesome. In our last section, we'll close our uh, Facebook Live reading with this last section then. I just wanted to take a, a, a moment to say thanks again. I really appreciate appreciate being on, being on this journey with you. Uh, thanks thanks for your comments and your prayers. Thank you for your encouragement for Ann Elva. Ann Elva, you're still on our hearts as you're there in the hospital and we're away from you. And uh, just want to let you know in this crazy time, my heart goes out to all of you. And I'm so grateful that you've walked uh, a few steps on this journey with me. So thanks again for joining us. And I'll let my closing benediction be this last section of the delight book. An image of mutual delight. That talk of active engagement as you move forward on a journey that is out of your control brings us full circle back to mutual delight. God loves it when you depend on Jesus to set your course. God loves it when you take a small step in the power of the Holy Spirit God loves it when you hear, go, and I will tell you when we get there, and you respond with the sign me up. God intends the adventure of following Jesus to bring you peace and confidence and excitement and tons and tons and tons of joy. As you stay curious and open to what the Spirit is shaping in you, as you lean into vulnerability in order to live more fully, I want to leave you with the image I shared way back in the introduction. We've come a long way since then. We've looked at all kinds of vocabulary words and Bible verses. We've explored some pretty deep theology in ways I hope open up the possibility of delight in your life of faith. 
and we have fought to hold on to God's heart and God's delight in the midst of our own wrestling with the biblical text and struggling with our own sins and failures. If I've been something of a tour guide on this journey of delight, I have constantly been aware of who is really guiding this conversation. Imagine one more time a parent. Is it a mom or dad in your mind's eye? Imagine the open arms, the beaming eyes, the smile of encouragement that makes the toddler begin to laugh as tiny feet take awkward steps more and more quickly toward that loving embrace. And if the toddler weaves back and forth a little, if the toddler falls down and has to get back up, if the toddler gets turned around and even runs in the wrong direction for a bit, who cares? That mom or dad is there, delighting in those awkward steps. Mom or dad will keep encouraging and smiling and reaching out with loving arms, not just because the toddler needs it, but because loving that child is an absolute joy. If that toddler begins to run off, how quickly, how faithfully that loving parent playfully accommodates the wrong direction. Somehow the ultimate destination is still a loving embrace. Somehow that child is still captured by love and thrown up in the air and the giggles and smiles and belly laughs that come from that young child bring such smiles and laughter from their mom or dad that the kid can't help squealing with delight. Which makes mom guffaw. Which makes the toddler chortle. Which makes mom weep for joy. And those two sillies end up rolling around in the grass and the sun and the summer breeze with no concept of time and no concern for propriety. That. That's God's heart for you. That's what following Jesus is all about. That is what the Spirit is up to in your life. Mutual delight. It's not the only experience you'll have following Jesus. Believe me, I know. But delight is one of the most fundamental and important experiences in the lives of those who have been claimed by a God who loves them in emotional, thoughtful, and visceral ways, who intends that feeling to be mutual. To follow Jesus is to have playful confidence in God's unconditional delight. To follow Jesus is to be caught up in a love story beyond your wildest dreams. To follow Jesus is to put your foot on a path of adventure marked by vulnerability and challenge and sorrow and failure, but marked most fundamentally by delight. To follow Jesus is to know joyful delight and thoughtful delight and playful delight and delicious delight and desirable delight in God because that's exactly what God feels about you. Discipleship is the adventure of loving and being loved. Amen. Thanks again. 
We'll see you next time at Next Step Press.